God, I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for their willingness to study your word even remotely and for kind of embracing the times right now and how we have this unique opportunity to sit in our living rooms or on our couches and study God's word with everybody. And it's a, it's a great time of frustration and angst, but it's also a time of opportunity, and it's always a time where we can trust you. So we just pray, God, that our, our lesson tonight would encourage us, that would give us a good challenge as well, and that, uh, that we glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, one last check, see if I've got everybody in. Okay. All right, so... I think I have muted everybody but me. Okay, cool. All right, so we are in 1 Samuel 25. So last week we were in uh, 24 and 26. And 24 and 26 both had the, the element of, of Saul is in David's grasp. And David has an opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't do it. And we asked a question, what choice will you make? And the week before, we looked at, uh, David as the fugitive, and, and he's in trouble, and he's running away from Saul because Saul tried to put a spear through him and pin him to the wall. And we, we asked the question, where do you turn in times of trouble? Where do you go? And we saw where David went. And this is, the, this is the time period where David's a fugitive, and he is a Messiah. He's an anointed future king. And Saul is also a Messiah. He is an anointed king. And so we have two Messiahs here, and we have – they are – interacting with each other and David is on the run and what we learned last week in chapter 26 that was the final time we were going to see Saul and Saul said okay I'm going to back off and go away and he does and now we have 25 right in the middle and so what's really cool about 25 is that it comes before 26 and uh, that's simple math but in 26 David had this great realization and that realization was I think God's going to do my fighting for me and I'm going to trust God. Maybe he's going to take care of my business for me or he's going to take care of his business. And he wasn't that way in 24. Well, why did he get to that point? It's because of chapter 25, where God does exactly that. And we're going to see that in our text tonight. So we are in chapter 25. And let me get my, you got the screen here. Everybody, I hope, can see uh, the screen share. You can see the screen, uh, our worksheet tonight. I do have I do have the chat open, so so please, um, we're not going to do any like hand raising or anything like that. If you've got a question or a comment, send me a message, and I'll be able to address it in real time. All right, so we start with uh, death of a great man. We're in we're in chapter twenty five, and the text is abrupt, so we will also be abrupt. Here we go. Now Samuel died. It's pretty abrupt. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. We have a death of a great man. It's pretty just cut and dry. The greatest man in the land, the greatest man of faith. Samuel, you could say a lot of things about Samuel. He, you could call him, in fact, if I was, if I was to rank Samuel, I would call him the last of the judges because the book of Judges kind of leads right into, you get all these judges, some of them good, some of them bad. And if you look at the book of Judges, if a judge has a lot of, of print, if he has multiple chapters, he's usually pretty bad, like Samson. Oh, don't even get me started on Samson. 
but then you get others that you just get a couple lines and they were good. And so they're building up to the judges are building up to the time where we finally get a king. And Samuel is part of that transition. And so Samuel is really the last judge. And he's the one who, who, who brings in the king, the monarchy. And he goes about that. He anoints the first king. He anoints the second king. And he also is, he's a prophet. And he's not a priest. He is a prophet. And, but he's also like a judge. So Samuel plays a key role. When he dies, um, Israel has lost a juggernaut of faith. Their number one guy of faith in the land is Samuel. And they just lost him. And he is now dead. He was the number one guy David wanted to turn to when he was first running from Saul. And his loss would have been felt mightily. In fact, say what you want about Saul with the witch of Endor, but he wants to bring back Samuel. And he wants to ask, him, ask Samuel's advice on things, even though they didn't really get along. And the entire nation mourned and God's covenant people lost a great man. Well, we also lost a great man, didn't we? Those of us who had followed the news, we lost a great man of faith. And that man of faith was Ravi Zacharias. And God's covenant people once again lost a great man. And so I don't know about you, Mick, I'll, I'll, we're going to trust your audio here. We're going to see what's going to happen. Uh, Mick, Mick has, a, has a Ravi story that he wanted to share, how Ravi affected his life. So uh, we'll go ahead, Mick, go ahead and unmute yourself if you're not already unmuted. And um, what, what was Ravi to you, Mick? Ravi was, was um, a lot of what he said. He, he was that guy that, um, that helped explain what we believed in in such a way that that we could counter attacks. And um, I remember because he used to come to the Founders Week at Moody in the 90s um, and when I used to go. And um, I remember um, sitting there. And the one that I remember the most is actually when he was talking about how his brother, even though at this stage of their lives they were westernized, his brother still opted for the traditional um, prearranged marriage. Um, and he and, and Robbie was like, man, what, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing that? And, and, and Robbie's brother kind of set him straight by telling him, you know, the thing about love is that love is not something about the emotion. It, it's of the will. And the idea is to learn to love the one you have. And that's why he opted to go ahead with the traditional um, arranged marriage. And that was something that's always impacted me to this day. Um, and and I, it, it's the one thing of his that I, you know, it's like, I'm not remembering his apologetics, but that's like one thing of his that really sticks with me. Even now, just knowing that love is something of the will. And when you look at a, what love is in the Bible, agape love by God, it is a very willful, intentional love that is not pitched on emotions that can go up and down. And, and, I, and, and that's one of the things that has kind of guided me in life and, and in marriage, especially. Um, and, and just in, in love towards all peoples in general, that, that love is something more of the will, not, not how you feel about them. That's why God can tell us to, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And, and again, that's something that I, I, I can trace that while it goes back to Jesus, I trace that to Robbie. Nice. Yeah, I remember when I was in college, um, the college I went to, uh, I used to joke, they put the liberal in the liberal arts and they were very, I, I was, I was a unique person on campus in terms of, uh, you know, being, you know, conservative, straight, Christian. I, 
I was just a unique person. And so my voice wasn't always wanting to be heard by people. And it's probably not as bad as it is now, but it was just starting to get awkward and, and, and weird in terms of what's allowed to be said and what's allowed not to be said. And I just remember, you know, in this great, when tolerance and multiculturalism and diversity is, 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 is praised above all else, there was Ravi. And Ravi was, you know, defining terms. And Ravi was there and like university, unity within diversity. He, he, was, he was there to, 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 to tackle Islam and to tackle uh, Hinduism and to be able to provide arguments. And, Ra, and Ravi came at the right time in my life where the internet, when I was in college, it's 96 to 2000, the internet was just kind of getting going. And chat, chatting was just starting to get going. And email, I remember we had a, a, a conference on teaching us what an email was. And we we're like, okay, here's what this is and log in this way. And we're all just looking at the screen going, what? And, but he came at the right time where you could start to, you could digest certain things. I know my mom and dad bought me his book, Can Man Live Without God? And I was digesting it. And it was just like, wow, like this, is, this is the cool thing. And I had two guys I turned to. One was Chuck Colson. And my mom set me on the, this is Breakpoint Ministries. That was one. And Ravi was the other. And I finally got a chance to see him. In 2018, he was, this is before Harvest Bible Chapter, Harvest Bible Chapter kind of fell off the face of the earth here a bit. But uh, they had a vertical conference and Ravi was a keynote speaker. And uh, I got to see him. I got to be in the same room with him. It was kind of like a personal moment there. And yeah, I wanted to pay respect to Ravi and do do right by him. And to, he is, if you've never read his stuff, uh, watch his YouTube video, R-Z-I-M, Ravi Zacharias International Minute. Go there. Go check out the arguments. Go check out the simplified uh, arguments and apologetics. He is a master apologetic person. He is a person that if you ever want to know how to, what to believe, how to defend your faith, start with Ravi. Ravi is a great place. He's not too deep in that you can't understand him, but he's very deep if you, if you keep going. And so, but yeah, that's, but Israel lost Samuel. He's just dead. And so that's just verse, that's the first part of verse one. Now Samuel died. He's just, he's dead. And there's nothing more they're going to say about that. And, um, the second part of first one, then David moved down to the desert of Paran. Keep going to verse 13. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing at Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs is missing. Ask your own servants and they'll tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son, David, whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. And we see what he's saying there. Because David breaking away from Saul. Okay. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. 
about 400 men went up with David, with 200 stayed with the supplies. Wow. Now, Nabal's name means foolish. It is probably not his real name. It doesn't make a lot of sense for mom and dad to name their kid foolish or fool, but it might, his name might be redacted into foolish. He might, it's quite possible his name could have been Nabal. We don't know. Uh, but most likely, uh, this is the narrator because he's he is foolish here. He's gonna be doing stupid things. But yeah, he's his name is foolish, and it adds irony to the story. He's a Calebite, and oh wow! So I've got a, in the pink there, right 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 above us from Numbers thirteen. I've got I've got a great Caleb verse. Caleb is an awesome guy. Caleb is a man's man. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. You know, they remember 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad, and two were good. Where the two that were good were Joshua or Hosea, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh. And so Caleb, he was an older guy, but he was tough as nails. And he, when, when they're dividing up the land to go conquer, he says, I want Hebron, because that's where everyone's afraid of. The Anakites are there, the big bad guys that make Goliath look teeny. I want them. I want those guys. You give me Hebron. And so he goes and takes it and he, and he destroys whatever he drives them out. And, and so, and that's Caleb. And so this guy we're told is a Calebite. So he's got this, he's, he's got this lineage about him. It's kind of cool. And, but he himself is a grumpy, surly kind of guy. And yeah, David's request. I, the more I studied this, the more irked I got. I'm trying to give David as much credit as possible, but this looks like a mafia shakedown. You know, in those movies where it's like the, 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 uh, the mafia guys come around and says, okay, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be really bad if somebody broke into your small business, wouldn't it? I tell you what, you, you put us on the regular retainer throughout the month and we'll make sure nobody breaks into your place. That's the flavor we're getting here. David shows up and money for security, but security that he's already given. And security, he's already taken care of these guys and protected these guys. And we're gonna learn a little bit more about that later as the story unfolds. I might be overreacting here. Uh, a couple of the commentators were just kind of playing with that, but this doesn't exactly look pleasant for David. And you, well, the text has already spoken. Uh, well, excuse me, hospitality custom dictated that Nabal would aid David in such a circumstance. So David did right by him. And so now custom would dictate that Nabal would do right by David. So it's kind of like a custom thing. But the text is already, see, the narrator has already told us about Nabal. They've already told us that he's a jerk and he's a surly kind of grumpy, like he's, he's looking for a fight. And so it's not a stretch here to say that David's given him that fight, is that David is poking the bear. It's just, it, it's, it's odd how David is this way. Cause we've never seen David like this. And the more you learn about David, this is not David. This is not the way he acts. And could he be wanting trouble? I don't know. It, 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 on the face of things, it sounds like he is. And David reacts in an inhospitable way, or excuse me, Nabal reacts and David takes offense. In that verse in the Hebrew, the word sword is there three times. And strap on a sword, boys. Let's go. 
And we've never seen this side of David before. I put a verse there that proves that. Because this is what happened when David faced the, 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 the surliest of all bears, Goliath. He said this, and this is 1 Samuel 17. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you all into our hands. Okay, so against the big bad Goliath, David is a great paragon of faith, and he was. He doesn't kill Saul last chapter when he had a chance in 24. But now we got a lesser guy who's irking him. And yeah, it looks like Nabal's poking the bear. Yeah, good point. Nabal is also, you know, he's a jerk. No, no, no one's standing up and defending this guy. But we're not used to David being this way. David having this attitude that says, oh, you're, you're going you're gonna to say those words to me, are you? You're not going to do what I want, are you? Oh, I'm offended now. Strap on your swords, boys. See, we're not used to this from David. This, this is, for us, it's like a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. The hero and the Goliath, like, we're, we're, not, we're not used to David grabbing a sword and going against a human enemy, someone that's ticked him off. We're not used to that. That's, it's one thing to say the battle belongs to the Lord. It's another thing to say, yeah, but I'm upset now, so I'm going to go get mine. And I'm going to go take it. And I'm going to go have my way because I'm upset. It just doesn't make sense for David. And so I'm making a big deal about this because it's going to highlight what Abigail does. Because David's in this position where he's overreacting. And he's reacting with a sword. And, you know, Peter's that way too towards the end. You know, Jesus you know, has to put the, put the ear back on the, on, on the guy when he tries to arrest him in Gethsemane. And Peter's already drawn his sword. David's drawing a sword, and no, oh, well, Abigail's intercession. Let me scroll down here so you can see a little bit more. Verse fourteen to thirty-one. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife. Abigail means my father is uh, is joyous. So. Avi means my father, and Gael is like my father has joy. So, because he's, because she's a good daughter, I guess. David sent messengers, they said, from the wilderness to give our master his greetings. But our master hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. So they were painting in the line, painting in the blanks for us a bit, filling them out. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. So these guys couldn't even go to Nabal to talk about this. They had to go to his wife. And it's like, oh, and, and sadly, some of our Catholic friends view, view that way about God. It's like, you know what, I, I can't go to God the Father, and I can't go, you know, God the Son is too busy or whatnot, so I got to go to Mary, because maybe I can get something done if I go to the mom, if I go to the wife. And so it's just kind of like, I'm going to go to her because I can't go to him. And I'm not going to go to him. And so here they are going, going to Abigail. And like, you know what? You're the one that can, you can think straight. He can't. And okay. So we're going to 31 here. Abigail acted quickly. She took out 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs. 
and loaded them on donkeys. So it's the original kind of fruitcake. She's going to put them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead. I'll follow you. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David. Look at this. He's going to drop an oath using God's holy name. Dang. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Yeah, David's going to fight. People are like, oh, David, you're overreacting. I'm not overreacting. David has swords, and David's like, I'm going to vow before God these guys are dead. And if they're not all dead, may God strike me down, essentially. They're done. And David is, is having at it here. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed before down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet saying, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Pay, please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live. Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent of harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember, your servant. Wow. That's a woman's woman right there. I heard some Ruth in there, did, didn't you? Remember when Ruth turned to Naomi and talks talking about by your God, your people, my people, your God, my... She, she, she tossed the vow right back at David, didn't she? Well, let's go for our worksheet here. All right. Someone chatted here. There you go. A servant informs Abigail of the situation and, and informs us readers nicely as well. Abigail recognizes the seriousness of the situation and takes decisive action. She's shrewd. She is not messing around. She, she just doesn't sit and, and ponder. She doesn't take a straw poll. She gets up and she does something. She knows that, that it's time for action. So she gets, she gets busy. As Abigail approaches, David's intentions are clear and his minds are set. His mind's set the oath and the vow. Abigail's speech is full of wisdom, humility, and rhetorical skill. Verse 26 is what sets her apart. Let's look at verse 26 again. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. See, she, she's looking at this theologically. She's saying, essentially, don't be an idiot. 
you've got a good thing here. You're God's guy. Don't do a, a not God thing. It's like a man after God's own heart would not do this. Don't. Stop. That it's, you have other options. Don't do this. I'm here to stand in the breach here for you. And she didn't say it that way, but from our standpoint, if he's truly a man after God's own heart, he's not going to do this. And she gives an oath herself. And Abigail recognizes that David will be king and that God's king lives differently. Look how she talked about a sling, the pocket of a sling. Wow. Here he is brandishing swords. But it wasn't a sword that took down Goliath, was it? It was the pocket of a sling. Thud. The pocket holding that rock that David slung and that sunk into Goliath's forehead. Yeah, the sword finished the battle when he was already out for the count. Dead, you might say. The sword beheaded Goliath. But the pocket of the sling, God used the pocket. So she's bringing up this idea here. And that, that would mean something to David. And she sounds like Joseph. Why do I say that? Genesis 40. This is Joseph when he's talking. He's interpreting the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. And he says, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. You know, we were talking about originally that this, this series in May was it's called Wait. And we were thinking we're just going to wait one more month of this in-between time. And who are good waiters in the Bible? Joseph was a great person who had to wait. And he was basically dependent upon what the cupbearer was going to say, how he was going to remember. Would he eventually remember Joseph and get him out of the pit? And, and Abigail's saying here, listen, when, when things end nicely for you, remember me. Remember me. She sounds like Joseph here. Wow. She's telling this man, live. He's like, you're a person of faith. So you see this in the blue text here. Live by faith. Wait patiently. Trust in God and his timing. God's at work. She's letting him know God's at work in his life. That like God's doing these things. So why would you want to have this on your conscience? As you're now this, this avenger. It's like you didn't, take a, you didn't take vengeance with Saul in the cave. You're going to do it now with some nobody like Nabal that who, who's, who's upset you? You're going to have that on your conscience? Seriously? That's the kind of man you're going to claim to be? And, ah, uh, yeah, good point here. Nabal is impetuous. Abigail is decisive. It's a great contrast. It is. And another great contrast is, is you'll see that Saul is not in this story, but Saul has a, uh, Saul has a, has, a, has a proxy. Someone like Saul is in this story, and that somebody, well, there's two people who are like Saul in this story. The first one, obviously, is Nabal, impetuous, vengeful. But the second one, who else is like Saul? David. I hate to say it. Saul gets offended, and Saul just does whatever he wants to do. That's what we're seeing here for David. Right now, as he approaches Abigail, you see him on the, the, the text says he's like descending down. He's coming down from the hill, and he's approaching her. And, yeah, what's the greatest thing that Abigail does? 
she stops David from turning into Saul. That's pretty cool. I mean, wow. That's just really, that, that's just, you want to be a man after God's own heart. God's going to put people in your life that are going to speak life to you, to speak truth to you. Listen to them. Trust in God. Trust in his timing. Wait patiently. God's at work. Live a life of consistent personal restraint. This is something I struggled with mightily as a young man. And I still struggle with it now as a husband and a father. This is something that, that you probably struggle with too. Because sin is that way. Sin is, 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 is saying to God, my will be done, not thy will be done. And the nature of sin and temptation is to serve the self. That's why Jesus says, deny the self. Live a life of consistent personal restraint. If you're doing that, if you are showing consistent personal restraint before others, you're loving your neighbor as yourself. And that's half the battle, isn't it? Consistent personal restraint. We'll see what goes. We'll see what goes on next. David's response, 32 to 35, is David going to strike her down? Is David just going to just like the, the cavalry just going to charge on through? We're going to get the guy no matter what. 32 to 35, David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Wow. David responds theologically and recognizes the great favor Abigail has done for him. Abigail saved David from a fate worse than the cave. Instead of killing Saul, David could have become Saul, like I just mentioned. I, 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 I missed my moment there. I jumped ahead. But he was turning into Saul. He was going to do a Saul thing. And that's not what God wants. So God sent that Abigail. And that's what David said here. This is what God has done. He sent you. You know, when God puts people in your life to challenge you, to encourage you, to speak life to you, pay attention. It doesn't mean they're right, but pay attention. Listen. Be teachable. And she gave David a correction to his course. David is going a certain way, and she corrected him. She did it with humility, but she corrected him. And David is obviously a teachable person. See God at work in your life, looking at uh, the blue here. See God at work in your life. Don't seek to fulfill selfish attitudes. Submit them to God. Your Holy Spirit radar should always be on. Follow the lead you are given. You know, Ephesians talks about this, about, about, about walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. It's like that God's you know, GPS is always on. He's always directing you. He's never, never not directing you. And so it just, are you paying attention or not? I remember visiting somebody in the hospital in downtown Chicago, and it, I, I, was, I was lost in the darkness of Lower Wacker Drive. And I was underneath the earth at that point, wherever, wherever that is, a tunnel or something, whatever it was, the GPS stopped working. And it didn't know where I was. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know when to turn. I didn't, I didn't know what. I was just like, I don't know. I, I'm not a Chicago guy. 
see, there's, there's not knowing where you're going. That's one thing. And you're just looking for direction and whatever it comes. Eventually something peered through the light or something. And I think the, 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 uh, the satellite got through, I got GPS at the last possible moment after I'd missed my turn, whatever it was. And that's one thing. But if you're not paying attention, that's another thing. See, God's at work in your life. God's directing your path. But are you paying attention? You see, David pays attention here to Abigail. And this is not small. Your Holy Spirit radar should always be on. Follow the lead you're given. Make any, any comments here on this, uh, this, this interchange between David and Abigail and what David ended up not doing. Yeah, actually, I was kind of re-looking at verse 32, and I really like that because um, a lot of times we, we assume that in these stories of the Bible that God is talking audibly to everybody all the time, and he really isn't. Um, and here, here David, when he hears another person speaking into his life, because he knows who God is, he can recognize God using that person. Um, it was, he recognized right away when Abigail talked to him that, wow, God sent you to meet me. See, David, it's not like David was hearing God's voice all the time. I mean, even David had to seek the presence of God, um, and he would seek Samuel as well. It wasn't like God was speaking always directly to David. I think that that's something that we can all relate with, because even though we know that David's a man after God's own heart, and even though we know that the Holy Spirit used David to pen many a psalm, David is not always hearing God in an audible way. And I like these sort of things because they show us how God uses very natural things to communicate to us. Amen. And, and I got I to gotta come clean. One of the reasons why you, you, guys, you guys like me is I'm, I'm, I, I tend to be pretty open and genuine if I can. My attitude was just rotten today. I, I, I had to mow the lawn today. It was uh, after all this rain we've been getting. I know there's great parts of this plains that have been flooding and people are in real danger and and we escaped that but just mowing of the lawn was just really a pain and one of those things like every every 10 feet the lawnmower is just needing to be cleaned out I have to stop and it's just my back was killing me it was just horrible it was like walking a 5k mowing my lawn it was really just a really great 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 afternoon there and I'm just not in a great mood today and trying to get things figured out. Jen had a death call. She's a chaplain. She had to get taken out to a death call and wait for the funeral home to show up. And I'm looking at my wife and looking at the time like, oh, my gosh, it's not going to make it. I get dinner on the table. Here it is. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, kids, we got to eat. We got to do this. I got to get downstairs and set up for the class. And then my, my daughter wanted to sit, be on the porch and just not go inside. And so, okay, well. I guess I'm going to just sit out there on the porch with her while my son's in there eating his dinner and then uh, waiting for Jen to finally come home. And she does, and I'm running out of time and all these things, and I'm getting grumpy. I'm turning it into a ball, getting surly and just, Ugh. and I got to get down here and I got to teach this class. I've been waiting all week to teach this class, and my attitude just sucked. And in that moment, I'm like, how am I going to teach this class about a guy who almost acted on a bad attitude, dealing with a guy with a bad attitude? And here I have a bad attitude. And I'm, you know, I needed, you know, and God, and God put upon Jen to come in and, and to be a very gracious person. And it's like, okay, let's just get things done. And, and she didn't come at me, you know, she was just very nice. And, and, I, and I needed that. I needed that redirection so I could just sit there and just, and just kind of mop my brow while I choked down some dinner to get down here to get this class going. I needed that moment, that redirection. 
And I confess to you, my attitude was horrible. And the last thing you want before you teach a Bible class is to be a jerk right before you're teaching the Bible class. You just feel like the greatest hypocrite of all time. But I was both Nabal and David, and my wife was Abigail. And God places people in our life for that redirection. And we got to pay attention because all is not lost. We just got to pay attention. And yeah, God's at work. So what are the conclusions here? This, let me just scroll down here so we can get the rest of the page. Although I guess we can't see it. 36 to 44. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. Now he wasn't a king, but he's, he's acting like a king. So the text is giving us a clue here that he's just, he just, he's really got no business doing this because he's not really high and lofty, but he's acting high and lofty. But here he is. He was in high spirits and very drunk. Well, we already know about his character. And he, he's, he's, not, he's not showing us anything we don't know here. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. I've learned this um, when I used to work uh, security at frat parties. I dealt with drunks all the time. You can't reason with drunks. You can't really argue with drunks. You just kind of get them out of the room and protect people. Just, you just really can't deal with people in that state. There's no great logic or rhetoric or anything like that. You just, you just kind of nod and you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Get them out of the room and just get them safe. You know, get them safe somewhere and get them away from people, that kind of thing. And so she's got that going on here with her husband. She knows what her husband's like. My goodness, she's calling him a fool in front of another guy. She understands what, the, what this guy is like and how when he's like this, she's not talking to him. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. Wow. I, I, I'm rereading The Hobbit right now, and, and the, those trolls, the, the sunlight hits, and the trolls turn into stone. Uh, this doesn't just happen. You don't just hear, hear, hear words, and all of a sudden you just die. I mean, I guess very, very severe acute anxiety or something, but this is, wow. His heart failed him. He became like stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. You see, this is how this is this is how David can be that way in chapter 26, where he's telling Saul, "Listen, I'm not going to lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. If the Lord's going to do it, that's His business." And I'm paraphrasing. If God's going to do that, God certainly can. If He wants to strike you down, He's going to because He just saw it. He just saw God struck Nabal down. David didn't have to do a thing. Abigail didn't have to do a thing either. But yeah. He's kept his servant from doing wrong and brought Nabal's wrongdoing down upon his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. Well, she bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I'm your servant, and I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of your Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both were his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Paltiel, son of Laish, who was from Galen. We'll discuss that here in just a second. We got a chat coming here. Make sure I get it here. 
Yeah, he was in a good mood. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, he was when when you're we don't know we don't know if Nabal was a happy drunk or a sad drunk. And um yeah. I myself have uh should I share this story? I'll do it. I I, I was I, I one one night in my party life I don't remember. Uh, I I think I shared this before where I was working at one of my frat parties and I was security and someone one one of the older uh, alums came back and 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 tossed a they, they they pushed a big couch outside of the window and it landed on the basketball court in the backyard and then and they were standing up there in the window and they were uh, urinating on the couch you know just, these are drunk guys you see and then then they lit the couch on fire and it's out there in the dead of night two in the morning a, a huge couch on fire and so I race out there I eventually get word of this I race out there and I couldn't find a fire extinguisher. I was just, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so, you know, it was, it was in winter time too. So I, I was like, okay, there's a hose right there. So I'm like, ee, 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 trying to get it to turn on and it wouldn't turn on because the pipes were frozen or whatever. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And finally, I'm like, oh, I think I know where a fire extinguisher is. So I'm like, turn around to go back inside the house. All of a sudden, <sighs> my entire face and body was covered with the other security guard guy who had evidently found a fire extinguisher and it emptied its entire contents right in my face. I don't remember the rest of the evening. Okay, I'm just gonna say that. I don't know if that was considered being high or whatever, I just, it wasn't my fault. I, I don't remember the rest of the evening, but the guys tell me that I was the life of the party and I don't remember anything. I don't know what the ball is like. I don't know if he's a happy drunk, if he's a, he's a bad drunk, if he's a, you don't want to go around this guy, she doesn't want to go around him. His servants don't want to go around him whenever he's not drunk. He's just like, I can't go talk to this guy. So I'm going to go talk to, to, to Abigail. And yeah, uh, this is the kind of trust and God has learned. Amen. It's, it's, you've got to see God at work in your life before uh, you, you learn to trust him. Just because See, that's where David was. He gets to this point in Psalm 31 where he says, I trust you, God. I say, you're my God. My times are in your hands. Like this time right here, he sees it in God's hands. This whole interchange between him and Abigail, he's like, yeah, God did that. God just did that. That doesn't just happen. God did it. And God sent you with this. Wow. Well, God took care of his own business regarding the ball, the, the, the worksheet here. David and Abigail are clean on this. No one can go back and say, well, David, you know, I, I hear you strapped a sword to, to, your, to, your, to your tunic and you're going to go after him. Yeah, but he didn't use that sword. Abigail didn't kill anybody. David didn't kill anybody. They're clean. You see, the narrator of 1 Samuel has gone to great lengths to show us that David is a good character guy. He didn't kill Saul when he had the chance in 24. He didn't kill him when he had the chance again in 26. And though he wanted to kill Nabal, he didn't kill Nabal. The text was very clear. The Lord did it. And so, so, so the Lord's guy, so the whole argument of Abigail, that you, you don't want to you know, bury your conscience right now. It's kind of like when people have died. It's like, you know, 10 seconds on the lips, 10 years on the hips. Like that's that conscious moment right there. It's like you do this and you're going to wreck things. You're, you're just going to be in this position where you could have not been in that position. And uh, they're clean. Like Ruth and Boaz, Abigail is not only uh, needing a husband, but she's well matched to David. With Ruth and Boaz, the, the text described Boaz as a man of Hyle, 
good character, noble character, and also Ruth as a woman of Chayel. They are well matched. In certain regards, Abigail is David's equal. She's not giving up anything in this marriage. She is character-wise. She might even be his superior character-wise. God used her in a mighty way. They are well-matched. God continues to hammer out his will on the anvil of human circumstances. Isn't that true? He continues to hammer out his will in your circumstances. You may not like your circumstances. I don't like some of my circumstances. But God's at work. His will is being unfolded. It's working. God's at work. An original reader would recognize the political and geographical significance of David's marriages. I guess if you were to think about it, and let's just use our state, the state of Illinois, if someone was going to be the king of Illinois, if you were going, if you were going to have I grew up downstate, so definitely not a Chicago person. But if you wanted to rule the entire state, you would want to make sure you, you kind of cover the Springfield Decatur area, the central Champaign. You got to cover that. You got to cover the Chicago area. Maybe you got to cover something down close to St. Louis. You got to have these connections there to be able to be known as somebody who is worthy to rule the state of Illinois. I'm just using a silly example. But the narrator's, uh, his, his comment about Saul is that Saul, though he promised the daughter, remember what David had to do to get the daughter of Saul? To, 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 I mean, foreskins and killing, I mean, my goodness, I mean, the, the gruesome business. And he did it, and he got more than what he, Saul demanded, and Saul, okay, well, here it is. And, uh, and this, this Michal, well, then he didn't get to marry her. And Saul had taken it away from David. David couldn't even get, get to marry his wife. Remember, that was one of the prizes, I think. Who, 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 who takes care of this Goliath? What's going to happen? You know, it's like these various prizes are going to happen and rewards. And Saul is like, he just takes it back. And so David is, is moving on here. And David, he is, um, he's, he's marrying somebody from the Hebron area. And so... The former wife of Nabal would have connections, geographical, political connections. She is well met, matched for him as a wife, but she comes with, it's like an original reader would go, oh, oh, that was good. Yeah, that, that's a good person to marry because she has all this going with her. Yeah. And this person from Jezreel, oh, Jezreel, that's another big one. Yep. He's going to need to have that because he no longer has the Saul connection. He no longer has the, 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 the princess, Michal, the princess of the king to marry. So it's like, who's he, how's he going to be seen as royal now? He had that before, but now he doesn't. So he's got to have connections. And so this is something the text doesn't really bring up, but it's there. And so it's not, and so it, it's it, an original reader would have gone, yep, yep, yep. And um, yeah, Mick, you got a good comment here. Uh, Oh, Ryan, a good comment from Ryan. It seems ironic to me and to Joe that this chapter is about David being kept from making a foolish decision by killing Nabal, and it ends up him engaging in polygamy. Yeah, I, I get that. And yeah, it, it's hard to say. It, God doesn't really look at this and say, see, be, have, treat marriage this way, add one more, and David is acting like a king here, even though he's not yet a king. And if there's anything to criticize David on here, it's maybe that as well. It's like, oh, really? Another wife? 
really, David? And he's consolidating some kind of power. And yeah, it's not really polygamy in the sense of that we think of polygamy, but it also kind of is. And I'm not trying to be weird about that. But we look at polygamy, we, we look at this and say, you know what, an elder has to be the husband of but one wife. And you, you can't have a second wife. It's like, okay, you're, you're married to one person. And God, that's God's plan. God didn't create Adam and Eve, but, but also with Janet and Karen and Melissa and all these people. No, no, it's one woman. Okay. And, but these kings, they, you know, Solomon was even was much worse with this, but this is what they did. And you're right. It's, the, these multiple marriages are going to get Saul, Saul, Solomon in trouble. And yeah, I, I, I really don't know what to say about that. It's, it, it's hard to, to, to really cast aspersions on this. Um, it is, you know, Randy comments, it's a matter of political alliances. Yeah. And th that, that's really what we would look at. He's acting like a king and a king would secure um, his politics and to make sure he, because David, you're going to see this as if, if you study the, the books of Samuel further, David is going to get like a proclaimed king, like two or three times. And just because Saul's dead doesn't mean he's going to die in a few chapters. Doesn't mean David's going to step in and be king right away. And there's going to be some things and people are going to look at him and go, well, what about this guy? Because what about one of Saul's kids? What about this? Because, uh, you know, David, because Samuel's not here anymore. What are we going to do? How, how's he going to be king? And so David has to act a certain way. So David is, is showing uh, these political alliances um, here and, an original reader would have, caught, would have caught on to that, but you're right. It's more, multiple marriages here. And we have to, we have to be honest, just like we have to be honest about Esther and what she probably had to do with her one night with the King. And we have to say to our, our daughters, um, she's not a good example in that regard, winning the day sexually. David, in regards to marriage, anyone who's having multiple wives in scripture at the same time is not a good Ephesians 5 example. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church. We have, we have to face that. Okay, but that's just a reality. There's things that David says and does that is, are clearly not, not good examples for us. But um, yeah, Mick has a comment here. David was going to have enough bloodshed on his hands. He didn't need unnecessary bloodshed. This is a fantastic point. David was going to be such a man of war that God would not let him build the temple. Remember that? It's like, no, nah, you're a man of war. You shed enough blood. You're not going to be the one to build my house. You can dream it, but you can design it, whatever you want, but you're not going to build it. So, but to have unnecessary bloodshed, it's like uh, one more death? Like that doesn't really need to happen? Yeah. And that's a, that's a great point the unnecessary thing. It's just a matter of, okay, just correct your attitude. And um, God continues to hammer that out. An original reader, you bet. Uh, blue point here, the disciple's journey is patience. Two things to take home with this, patience and teachability. Because we're disciples and disciples are always going someplace. You're not staying right where you're at. You're becoming something. That's the process of progressive sanctification, being less like you and more like Jesus. I mean, good grief, even John the Baptist in John chapter 3 says this. He must increase, I must decrease. There's something about you that needs to stop being you and be more like Jesus. It's a journey we're on. 
And part of that, and David, we see that journey here um, is, uh, the journey here is, 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 is to be patient. Abigail's telling him, hold on, be patient here. Just be patient. Don't do this. Be patient. Wait. She's urging him to wait. She's giving him a course correction. He's, he's being teachable. Comment from John, remember, forgiveness from sin does not free one from consequences. Yeah. David's going to do some, some crazy things, and he's going to be forgiven of those crazy things, but there's still going to be consequences from those crazy things. You're exactly right. The disciples' journey is patience. Take the long-term view rather than, than acting on your impulses. And again, I say this as somebody who's, who's been a real, a real bad example of my impulses. I've learned a lot of bad lessons the hard way. Good lessons, but the hard way. And I stand before you as a guy uh, broken by my past and, and, and very much appreciative of, of, of my present and my future in Christ. Christ has taken me and done an amazing thing in me. But I've made some decisions that I, I regret and I've had to deal with the, the guilt and, and, and overcome the shame. And yeah, a clear conscience from restraints is, is greater than guilt from impulsive indulgence. A clear conscience is a wonderful thing. What a great gift Abigail gave to David. A moment to stop before he did something he was going to regret. You might have someone in your life that does that to you. Cherish that person. I'm not saying you got to get on a donkey and marry the person like David does. I mean, she was available at that time. I'm just, just saying, but cherish that person. Listen to that person. See what God is doing in, through that person. And the disciple's journey is also teachability. Receive correction and be flexible enough to change and to apply, to grow. Are you growing? If you're growing, uh, it's a fun word in my family right now. My daughter is, uh, is, is studying about metamorphosis in her stay-at-home learning stuff. And, you know, the, the, the frog, the egg, to the tadpole, to the polywog, or the butterfly, you know, the egg, to the, you know, the caterpillar, to the cocoon, the you know, pupa, to the, the butterfly. And it's, it's Romans 12, too, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the, the Greek word metamorpho, and it's where we get metamorphosis, is transformational change. That's you. Are you growing? If you are, then you are doing the consistent personal restraint. You are paying attention to what God's saying, who God is bringing into your life to say it. You're submitting your, your, your attitudes to God. What kind of attitude do you have? You're submitting that to God. That was my trip down the stairs as I set up the computer tonight. It's like, I'm not in a good attitude to teach this class. God, take charge of me right now. I've got to submit this time. It might be just five minutes before the class starts. This is my moment. Take me right now, God. Take this attitude and go flush it down the toilet. In fact, I think I had to use the bathroom. I had to flush the toilet. I think I was telling myself, God, as I flush this toilet, flush my attitude down the toilet. And I'm sorry for the TMI there, but it's like I was having that kind of visual moment here. It's like, this can't be me right now. I'm in no, I'm in no position to teach right now because of my stupid attitude, because of just silliness. I, mean, it's, I wasn't even offended like David was. It's just, yeah. When you receive correction, be flexible to change and apply. When, God word, when God's word corrects you, listen. 
That's what happened with David. Remember what Nathan said to him, you know, thou art the man. And, and what's David do? He penned Psalm 51. Against you, O Lord, have I sinned. David receives correction and does the right thing. He's a man after God's own heart. Be that way. Be flexible to change and apply. David resists seizing the, the goal selfishly, even though the goal is what God wants. You guys catch that? This goal of David being king is what God wants. God anointed this guy. So we're sitting there in our life and we're saying things like, well, this, I know this is God's will. And we say, we say I, I don't think the ends justify the means, but I know this is God's will for this to happen. So how it happens, it really doesn't matter. You know, ask Hagar about that. It's God's will for Abraham and Sarah to have a, or Abraham to have a son. And Sarah is not working. And so they make their decision. They're still fighting to this day. It's like the, the waiting and, and the, the attitude and uh, where do you turn in times of trouble? What choices do you make? What attitude do you have? David resists seizing the goal selfishly, even though the goal is what God wants. God wants this to happen, but God does not want it to happen this way. To be a man after God's own heart, you've got to seize the goal that God is going to put, put in place, but you're going to seize it a certain way. God expects you to live like the Beatitudes to be a peacemaker, to be, to mourn. I mean, God expects you to live a certain way, even though he's transforming you to be more like Jesus. Your expecta his expectation for you is to live a certain way. Another word about polygamy here. From Mick, excellent points, everyone. God never condones polygamy. That said, we all do things God doesn't condone. And as, uh, as, as John said, consequences are fo that are followed. Yeah. There you go. James 3.1 is uh, coming in here. Yeah. You're on a journey, my friends. How are you on this journey? I know no, no one likes staying at home. I mean, yeah, there's some people that like it. Some introverts are like, finally, I get to be me and be, me and be on the couch. No one really likes this time. But God's given us this time for a reason. Who are you during this time as you're forced to wait? How are you? Why are you? I mean, this is, this is you. Take advantage of this. I mean, you can be darn sure when I see my kids in just a few minutes, it's going to be, hey, you know what? Daddy was mean. And that daddy needs to watch the way in my attitude. I'm going to go to my wife and say, thank you for being the way you were. You were my Abigail tonight before I got to talk about Abigail. What a blessing that was. You have these moments in your life that it's like... For me, it's like I get to work on my parenting all the time because my kids are always right there. There's no going to the office anymore. I get to work on my marriage all the time because my wife is right there. It's like we're, we're not like two ships passing in the night. We're always there. It's like God has put opportunities in your life to grow. So grow. Learn what you need to do to change and be flexible to change. Be patient. Be teachable. David waits for God to accomplish his goal his way and in his time. What's your attitude? We know that a, a distant son of David called the son of David, Jesus, also an anointed Messiah, would also patiently accomplish God's will rather than resorting to human power. There's that old hymn, he could have called 10,000 angels. It's like, 
he tells them at Gethsemane, hey, put your sword away. Don't you think I could call my dad? He can give me a legion of angels for each one of you and me. Jesus wasn't about the power structures. You got his, part of his crew was a zealot who was expecting Jesus to, to, to brandish the sword and take on Rome and bury Rome and have the Jews come out on top finally. And that wasn't the fight Jesus was going to fight. Jesus didn't go that way. He waited for God's will to be done, even if it meant the cross. Damn. That needs to be you. That needs to be me. Oh, good grief, that needs to be me. Wait for God to patiently accomplish his will. Wow. So David had a moment here where it could have ended really badly for David. He could have been stained. But God, God knew what he was doing. Make any closing words here before we, uh, we sign off? Well, I was thinking about that you can't carry your cross until you first deny yourself. And I think this is a big moment for David along those lines of denying himself, because that's what this is about. He, he wanted to not deny himself. It was an attack on his pride. And, um, you know, God sent someone to, to remind him about that. And that, that changed, at least for this day, it changed the course of something. And I taught him a lesson for the next chapter, as you pointed out earlier, too. Yeah. In fact, I encourage you, now that you know what God did with Nabal, I encourage you to go back and read chapter 26. And when David gets to that moment, and to see how David now has now changed, and he knows what God's going to do and what God has done. And once you've seen God at work, it's easy to trust him. God, you have done that. We trust you, God. We trust you. We sing another hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. We see what God has done, and it impacts our faith because it, it causes us to trust in him. It's a cool story. Abigail, she's wonderful. What a, what a great character. What a great character, this Abigail. God bless you guys. <laughs>